Thanks again for, uh, for joining us today in, in worship. Um, for those who are new, um, we're going through a uh, kind of like a spiritual detox. We're going through a spiritual detox program where uh, we think about how we can inspire and engender spiritual health in us. And, and the detox is, is very simple. It's just a, a threefold, um, threefold um, plan where we think about the things that are hindering us from growing and being healthy spiritually and thinking about how we can surrender these things um, to the Lord. The second thing is, what can we incorporate into our lives? Healthy habits that will help us to grow, that will help us to really honor God with our lives, to get us growing in spiritual health and vitality. And then the last thing is, who are the people that we can do it together with, that we can encourage each other and push one another and lead one another on to growth? And, and through the past uh, couple weeks after we've introduced this, there's been a lot of um, just uh, some great um, stories and testimonies and, and fruit. Um, even uh, last week, uh, uh, about 10 to 12 people um, other people are signing up for their Bible devotion so that they can get into the Word on a daily basis and to grow together with their Sunday school class or with their family members and things like that. And, and different peoples have surrendered different idols and committed to surrendering certain things. Some have begun now. Others are going to be beginning um, when our detox officially begins with Lent. Um, but as we respond to the call of God, my hope and, and, and prayer, and I'll talk about this a little bit more today, is that we'd really just fall in love with Jesus. That's all um, this is all about. Just creating um, pathways that we can walk in so that we can love Jesus more, receive his love more, and then be agents of his love and, and channels of his love and blessing in a greater way. And so as, um, as we talk today about the things from which we are detoxing from, the toxic agents in our lives, I'm going to invite um, one of our high school students to come and share. Last week we heard from Samina Shin, whose Korean name is Semina. Today we're going to hear from Shin, who are unrelated, but her brother's name is Hong Sin, right? Very interesting. Next week, if your name is Se Shin, you're up. But <laughs> let's welcome Semi as she comes to share with us. Sorry. You hold it? Um, hello. Um, Everyone has that one thing that makes them different from the person next to them, whether it be a sport or a hobby or a profession. For me, it was K-pop. All my friends knew my love for K-pop, and K-pop was at first wasn't such a big thing for me. Um, I was first introduced to K-pop in 2005 through my parents while watching a Korean game show. Um, I remember the group, the song they sang, the dance they did. It was such a different experience for me and at the time. Jump seven years, and you see me with not just an interest for it, but but more of an obsession. Um, I was in love with K-pop, even though at first I enjoyed it because of the different field from American music and wanted to embrace my culture. Now it's because of the lyrics, concept, choreography, music video, and most importantly, the idols themselves. They to me were so perfect and amazing. I drooled over them and fangirled over so many of them. I was at a point where my relationships with people were based on K-pop. I never thought it was such an idol in my life, I always thought that it was okay because so many other people were crazed over other celebrities and artists. I made myself think that I was just like them, but I was completely wrong. I had this heart until this past winter retreat. Um, Pastor IJ on the second night, second day, spoke about pop culture. He talked about all the dangers and the pitfalls of, of it making me realize how much K-pop has overrun my life. Suddenly I felt so shameful that every time anyone mentioned K-pop, they would automatically look at me or talk to me about it. Through the message he spoke, I slowly began to open my eyes to see the sin that was taking over my life. Then that night, Pastor IJ asked in his sermon, Have you fully surrendered yourself to God? 
That was enough to make me really say to myself that I needed to give up K-pop. That that was the last string that needed to be pulled for me to open my eyes and see the addiction to K-pop. After realizing this, I began to plan it out. Things I would do once I got back. Um, things I would do with my phone once I got home. The first step, of course, was to erase everything that was on my phone. This wasn't an easy task. I had over 300 pictures saved, um, 14 videos, and 920 songs. Um, all, these, all these things I had accumulated over the years, and trying to delete them was heartaching. Eventually, as I deleted and boxed away with belongings, my heart felt lighter and I felt better. Through this, I hope I'll get stronger and rely more on God. I want to be able to make him my number one, not anything else. Although I wasted so much time in the past seven years, I hope that I can make it make up for it by spending time with the Lord so much more this year. Now that I've now that it's almost been a month since I've given it up, it has been different. It's been very difficult because so many people are used to talking to me about K-pop, and several times a few friends will mention it or ask me about it, making it difficult to stop thinking about it. Also, my parents' constant watching of dramas add on to the difficulty of letting go. Even though it's been difficult. Fixing my li even though it's been difficult fixing my lifestyle so much through God, I've been able to find to I've been able to find comfort and peace to my distress. And just like any addiction, this is going to be tough. But Jesus is better than any idol. Thank you. Um, your heart and your journey struggle and your victory with us. Um, in a couple weeks, basically what we're doing, this is the second week where we're just kind of diving deeper into um, the whys behind this detox, why we need to do the things that we're doing. And as we conclude this part of our time next week, um, in two weeks there will be an opportunity for you all to um, really step into this and to sign up. Um, so to speak, and to, to fill in the things that you're committing to the Lord over this period of, of Lent. Um, a time for you to commit to doing that. And um, again, as I shared last week, my our hope and prayer isn't that this would just be a 40-day thing and then as soon as Easter ends, Monday comes and, and we dive back into these things and indulge in, in sin. That's not what we want. Um, our desire and our longing is that for 40 days we would practice this. It would become a habit that we would realize that when sin becomes bitter, Christ becomes sweet so that the grip of sin is loosened in our hearts and Jesus is stronger than those things and we begin to love him more than we love the things that we used to love. That's our hope and prayer. And so as you um, fill out these things in a couple weeks, um, these are what I'll use and I'll, I'll certainly be praying for these um, prayer requests and praying for the things and, and, and just really wanting to see victory over the sins and over the things that easily entangle us and keep us from running with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So that's what we're, uh, that's what we're hoping for, and that's what we're pushing for. And so today I want to read from Hebrews chapter <coughs> 3, verses 7 through 15. As we talk about, you know, last week we talked about intake. Today I want to talk about detox. Next week we'll talk about accountability. But today, what are the things, what are the, why do we need to detox from certain things in our lives? I think as we've been going through these last three weeks, some of y'all have a very clear picture in your mind of what things you need to detox from. Uh, some have already taken that step. Others are, are still kind of wrestling around with it. Um, but hopefully within, by, by, next, by next Sunday, you'll have a very clear picture of the things that God may be calling you to surrender over to him. <clears throat> but Hebrews chapter 3, why do we need to detox from these things? Chapter 3, verse 7, this is God's word. 
So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. This is God's word. Our passage today begins with a little history lesson. The writer of Hebrews is reminding the people of God of their ancient forefathers, their ancestors way back in time, who they saw God deliver them out of slavery in Egypt, led them through the wilderness and on the edge of the promised land, and they grumbled before the Lord God. They, in unbelief, disobeyed the promises and the commands of God, and so they wandered throughout the desert, failing to believe, failing to put their faith and their trust in God, even though he had shown them all of these miracles. It said their hearts had become hardened to the promises and to the teachings of the word of God. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's saying, hey, y'all, don't be like them. Learn the lesson from them so that your hearts don't become hardened. Because when our hearts get hardened, it's a fast track to a very difficult and painful future. So what are the things that we need to be careful of? In verse 13, he says, see to it, brothers. Literally, he says, check yourself, look at this, examine closely your hearts so that they don't become hardened. What are the things that we need to examine? What are the things that we need to be careful of? What are the things that we need to beware of so that we don't go down this quick road to a hardened heart? Right? The first thing that we see here says, beware of the deception of justifying your sin. Beware of the deception of justifying your sin. So sin is, we all sin. I think that's not a secret. I know that I sin. It's very easy for me to recognize that I'm a sinner. It's probably very easy for you to recognize that I'm a sinner. It's very easy probably for you to recognize that you're a sinner. But it's one thing when I say to myself or I say to somebody else, hey, you know what? I'm so impatient. Like, I'm a bad man. I'm, I'm so selfish. I always look after my own interests, not the interests of other people. And I always do what I want to do, and I don't care about other people sometimes. It's one thing for me to say that. But it's another thing if you come up to me and say, hey, you know what? Hey, you know what, DL? You're really selfish. You always think about yourself before other people. Uh, you never put their interests before your own. And I'll be like, hold up, wait a second, what are you talking about? Where's all this coming from, right? What did I do to you? It's one thing for us to see it for ourselves, but it's another thing when somebody else sees it and they begin to talk about it with us because that's offensive. We don't really do that, right? Because we don't want to offend one another. So, there, so here's what we do in our culture is we, we kind of trivialize and, and kind of minimize sin. We don't really talk about sin. We, if we talk about it, it's almost like in a joking way. 
And we talk about like the sin now in our culture gets relegated to the dessert section of a menu. And if I said this before, it gets pushed back to the dessert section. Oh, my gosh, sinful temptation, chocolate cake. Sinful indulgences. Oh, this is sinfully sweet. But that's, that's to the degree that we talk about sin in our culture. We don't talk about it in the sense of, hey, you know what? We need to look out for each other so that we don't fall into sin and temptation. We kind of make light of it. We trivialize it, make it kind of this light and fluffy thing that we can kind of play with. It's kind of cute. And that's exactly what Satan would want us to think about sin. Remember, we talked about this last week, but in the Garden of Eden, when God was giving his law, Satan came up and he slithered around and he said, did, did God really say that? Like, did he really say that you'll surely die? You ain't going to die. Come on now. Ain't gonna, he, God's just, he's just afraid that if you do this sin, that you're going to become like him. You ain't going to die. It's not that bad. And that's the, the lie that goes into our minds. Like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, and we begin to justify sin in that way. And the temptation, here's what it says in verse 12. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. What Satan wants is for us to unbelieve God and for us to believe Satan. It's not that bad, and one of the damning lies of Satan is that just once won't hurt you. Like just one time won't hurt you. Every addiction begins with just one time. And no adulterer, no murderer sets out to go wake up one morning and say, you know what, I want to throw my life away and become a murderer and commit adultery. It wasn't like that with Samson, wasn't like that with Saul, wasn't like that with David. But one thing, one sin, just one time it'll be okay. You know what happens with this, this idea, when, we, when our hearts are soft and we sin just one time, what happens? And we begin immediately, we begin to feel guilty about it, don't we? The first time you, first time you cheated on your test, okay? Hopefully this is never, but the first time you cheated on a test. First time you lied to your parents. The first time you engaged in that habit that you shouldn't have engaged in. The first time you crossed that boundary with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Right? As soon as you did, didn't you start to feel guilty about that? Oh my gosh, I... I shouldn't have done that. And we begin to think about all of the, 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 the negative consequences of sin in our lives. My gosh, my conscience feels just overwhelmed with guilt. I feel like I can't pray to God anymore. I look at the word and all these things are beginning to, to just get blurry and I can't, I can't read the word anymore. We begin to think about all the negative consequences. And we don't really think about the positive consequences of sin. And Satan says, just once won't hurt. But the nature of sin, the nature of the beast, is that it's never just once. It makes us want a little bit more. And then next time we say, oh, you know what, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then in a moment of stress or in a moment of, of justification, I deserve it. You know, you know how hard I've been working? You know how hard I've been fighting? You know how, how much I've been, been living for Jesus? Just one time. That second time we do it. And here's the nature of sin. See, Satan comes, the New Testament tells us, he comes masquerading as an angel of light. If he came as this ugly demon, we'd run away from him. But he comes beautifully wrapped in this nice K-pop song. He comes beautifully wrapped in, oh, he's a Christian, or she's a Christian, or she goes to church at least. 
comes beautifully wrapped, and all of my friends are doing it. He masquerades as an angel of light and says, it's okay. And then that next time we commit this sin. And we don't think so much about the negative consequences of sin. We think about the positive consequences. You know what? It felt good. You know what? My friends, they said that I could be accepted as part of their group. You know what? My, they, that group at the lunch table, they like me now. And they'll, they'll, they'll let me hang out. They'll let me party with them. They'll let me go to these things. We begin to think about the positive consequences of sin. And all of a sudden, before we know it, and we're not thinking at all about the negative consequences and all the things that we're being robbed of as we engage in just this one step. A lot of times we begin to justify that. But you know what? I don't think it's really that bad. You know what? It, I, know they, I know they say that, but they're old-fashioned. They don't really know. They don't know our culture. They don't know our time. They don't know how much I've been going through. We begin to justify these things, or we begin to cover these things up. I think just kind of ignore them and to push them aside so that our hearts won't be uh, burdened by a guilty conscience. Our um, daughter, Manny, she's just recently, um, probably, I don't know how long it's been, but for, for a while she's been potty trained and she's really good at going to the bathroom on time. But she, sometimes she doesn't like going because she's just playing with her friends or playing with something and she just gets distracted and she'll tell us like right before it's too late. She goes, I got to go pee, I got to go pee. And so we'll take her and on the way she's like dripping. We're like, oh, you should have told us earlier. So sometimes she does that, and she knows that we don't like when she pees on herself. We like when she goes in the toilet. And so there's one time Olivia was, was with Manny, probably about a month or so ago, and Manny had to go to the bathroom. And so she went to the, to the bathroom, and she realized, Olivia realized that the floor in front of the toilet was wet. And so she said, Manny, did you pee on the floor? And Manny said, no. And so Allah said, who did this then? And Manny said, maybe... Maybe someone took Elijah's pee and put it there. <laughs> I thought, that's really funny. That's really cute. But that's what we do, too. When we get called out on our sin, we begin to cover that up and say, you know what, maybe, maybe it wasn't really that bad. It wasn't really, maybe it was somebody else. It wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's fault. We begin to cover that up. We begin to justify that sin, begin to believe the lies that Satan tells us. That, hey, it's, it's okay. Just one time, one time. The first thing he says is beware of the danger, the deception. Beware of the deception of justifying your sin. The second thing that he says then, beware of a hard heart that has lost the urgency to fight against sin. Verse 13, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. How do you know your heart is hard? I, I think there's several things. We can recognize it when it's in us. Sometimes we can recognize it in other people. If you have a hard heart, then the word of God doesn't penetrate your heart the way that it used to. You know the times where you used to feel such conviction when you heard the word of God? When you used to sing those songs, your heart used to be moved by it. When our hearts become hardened, and we're not moved by the things of God anymore. There's no conviction in our hearts anymore. When our hearts become hardened, we don't think about sin. We don't think twice. The things that used to bother our conscience don't bother us anymore. 
I think back a year ago, five years ago, things that you used to think about as sinful, when maybe you used to see it in other people, say, you know what, they shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. And you realize now that these are the very things that we're engaged in. The things that, you, that used to bother and prick your conscience, the way that you used to yell at your spouse. The first time you did it, when you're newly married, you say, oh, God, I feel so bad about that. I'm not loving my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm not submitting to my husband the way that the church ought to to Christ. And we begin to feel guilty about it, begin to repent about it. But now it's just second nature. We just do these things all the time, not even thinking about it. We gossip about people. We talk badly about them, even though we know in our mind it's bad, but it just, it just comes out. And we know in our mind that there was a time when it used to bother us. There's a time we used to be like, you know what, I need to withdraw from this conversation. We used to walk away from it, but now we're just, we're just engaged in it. Time when you used to think twice about looking at the pornographic websites. We used to think twice about that. You used to feel bad about it, but now as soon as you turn it on, there you go. You just go to those places. Times where it used to be just be an hour of something. Now it's like five hours, six hours, seven hours, and you begin to justify that away. That's when your heart becomes hard. You know your heart has become hardened in that sense. There's no fight against sin anymore. Just give in to temptation. There's no struggle. I'm not struggling against sin. It's just I'm giving in to it. I just lay down and, and let it attack me now. One way I know that my heart has become hardened is that where I used to sit in the front of the worship service, I moved to the back slowly, 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 because I don't want the word of God to prick my conscience anymore. I don't want God to speak and to change the way that I live. I'm not looking at anybody back there, but I'm just saying, maybe. That's, that's how it is for me. That's how it is for me. I don't want, I, if I don't want to hear from God, I'll sit in the back and let myself get distracted by other things. He says, beware of a hard heart that has lost the urgency to fight against sin. And you're okay having a jacked up, messed up relationship with your parents or with your kids. You're all right having a messed up marriage, and you're okay with that. The romance, the love, the intimacy is gone, but you're fine with that. He's saying, don't let that happen to you. Beware of a hardened heart that's lost that urgency to fight against sin. A few uh, months ago, I went for a physical to my doctor. My doctor's like, hey, you know what? Your cholesterol's too high. And if you don't get this under control, you got to go on medication. I'm like, no, not me. I'm too young. Don't you know, I used to be so athletic, and I used to play and jump and run and all these things. I'm too young to go on medication. People go on medication are like old and not me. I can't do that. And so he said, you got to change. You got to watch several things. One, um, you got to manage your stress better. Two, you got to rest better. Three, you got to eat better. And four, you got to exercise. I was like, all right, whoa, 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 slow down. Let me take one thing at a time. So there was a season in my life soon after, and I was scared to death of having a messed up heart. And so I would walk in the morning. Around the neighborhood, I, would, I tried to run. I stopped after about a minute and a half. I was like, I can't do that. Let's start with walking. I would walk around the neighborhood. Starting to feel good. I would drink apple cider vinegar. Supposed to be good for your heart. Right? Terrible for the palate, but good for the heart. I ate chicken and fish. And I never eat chicken and fish. I like eating like the marbled, crusted, fatty stuff. The stuff that like people look at and they cut it off. That's the stuff I like to eat. Stuff that's bad for you. But doctor said no red meat, no marbled fat, nothing like that. That's all going to get coagulated here and you can die. And I said, okay, chicken and fish it is. Fish oil pills, liver detox, and all kinds of nasty stuff that I had no business eating at my age. But I did. And it began working. The doctor was happy. 
said, you know what, your cholesterol has gone down. This is great. Just keep on doing what you're doing, and you don't have to go on medication. As soon as I got word, I said, I'm free. I'm done. Right? Forget this stuff. No more vitamins, no more pills, no more healthy stuff, no more salad. Right? Let's, let's go. Let's get back into the Korean barbecue and all you can eat and all the artery, artery clogging stuff. Let's get back into it. And I said, forget about that stuff. And here's the problem. The problem is not only am I living this way, but I think I'm still healthy. that describe what we do with our spiritual health too? That there's a time when we're fighting vigilant against these things. That we ask people, help me out. Help me to get into the right habits. And help me to fight against sin. And in time, right, slowly, slowly, but surely, begin to go back into those old habits. And here's the problem. It's like we think that we're okay spiritually. Just a little bit of sin in my life. Just a little bit of that in my life. A little bit of this. And we think we're okay. The hardening of a heart happens as we stop thinking about <clears throat> the negative consequences of sin. You can't hear the voice of God anymore. You don't, you're not moved in, in action, you don't fall in love with Jesus. Your eyes are dry, your heart is hard, your faith is old, your prayers are cold. Don't think about those things anymore. Only thinking about the positive consequences of sin. And this flip-flopping thing has happened. And no longer are we fighting and struggling against sin and temptation. Just kind of giving into it. Kind of going with the flow. Letting it happen. Beware of a hard heart that has lost that urgency to fight against sin. Those things that we justify in our heart. The things that we say, you know what, that's okay. Right? It's, it's innocent. It's not that bad. An equally damning lie of Satan is now that you've sinned, you're not useful to God anymore. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. But it's all right. And it's ensnared so many people. Our hearts have become hardened so that we don't hear the voice of love speaking to us. That's the third thing. But the last thing that beware of ignoring his voice today. If you look in this passage, it says in verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And it says in verse 15, rarely does the Bible do this. It says, as has just been said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And that's the, the hardest thing about hardening our hearts is the more we ignore the voice of God, the harder it is for us to hear him the next time. You know how... Like if you hear something over and over and you ignore something over and over, it becomes harder and harder for you to hear it. You ever experienced something like that? Here's how I've experienced it. Sometimes we've got these smoke alarms and their batteries die out and they start be the smoke alarm starts beeping. And 
if, if I'm really lazy, I don't want to change that battery because I have to get a chair or get a ladder and stand up on it and take it out. I don't want to do that. I don't want to. That's how lazy and sinful I am. I don't want to go buy a 9-volt battery. It's like we've got these AA, AAA, but to go and buy a battery, don't hate me now. But, okay, so that was, it's like beeping. I'm like, gosh, that's so annoying. I hate that. I hate that stupid fire alarm. Somebody change it. I'm talking to myself. Somebody change this thing. It starts beeping and beeping, and after a day, it's beeping. After two days, it's beeping. After a week, it's beeping. After a while, you know what, I don't, I don't hear it anymore. It just kind of like blends into the background noise. And then people come over, and they hear this beep. And they're like, what's that? <laughs> like, what's what? You don't hear that? It's like, hear what? That thing is so annoying. What thing? Hour later, <laughs> what is that? Oh, that's the smoke alarm. It's like, doesn't that bother you? Oh, you know, I, I just kind of, like, I got, I got used to it. I don't really, doesn't really think about it anymore. That's what happens as we hear the voice of God, and we don't listen to the voice of God. We ignore the voice of God. And we hear the voice of God, and, and the first time we hear it, it convicts us and it challenges us. Let go of this relationship. Let go of this habit. Let go of this sin. Let go of this time-wasting thing. Let go of this thing you call a hobby that's taking up all of your life and has overrun you. Let go of these things. The first time you hear it, your heart is moved. Like, you know what, maybe I need to let go of these things. But you don't do anything about it. The next week you hear the same thing. Your heart is moved by it. But not to the degree that it was the first time. You think, you know what, maybe it's, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe if it was still that bad, it would be really piercing my soul. Maybe it's not that bad. You hear it again and again and again, and then you begin to think, it's not, that's not for me, he's talking about somebody else. And the more we harden our hearts and ignore the voice of God, the less attuned our ears are to hear the voice of the one speaking in love, calling to us. He says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart and don't ignore the call of God in your life. And what is he calling you to? What is he saying for you to let go what he's saying for you to surrender? What is he saying for you to, to give over to him? What keeps us from doing that? What keeps us from running to him and giving these things over? Like there's a sense of, of urgency in his plea here. We can't live, we can't go another day living like this. And we think sin is this like this this toy is like this game, but and if you're if you're you're walking out in, in the streets here in this rural settlement. You hook a left, and you're walking around. You see this head-hunting cannibal, and he's going to kill you. He's got a sword. And you're like, hey, what's up, dude? Hey, you want to you play catch with your spear? You don't do that. If you're walking along in some jungle at the zoo in Sanford or something, and see this lion gets out, and he's starving, and he's, like, staring at you. You're like, oh, come here. Let's, let's play. You don't say that. But Genesis 4 says sin crouches at your door. It wants to have you. It wants to kill you. It wants to destroy you. He says you need to get rid of sin before it gets rid of you. It's not something that we can play with and, and, and pet and say, oh, this is nice, and I can manage it. I can handle it. But today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't lose the ability, the sensitivity to hear the voice of God as it calls out to you. And what are the things that we need to change in our lives? 
What are the things that are robbing us of life and of vitality and of spiritual health? What are the things that are keeping us from going all in for Jesus? What are the things that he's placing his finger on in your heart and just turning that stake and pushing it and twisting it and saying, this is it. But today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't ignore the voice of love as it calls out to you. You can imagine the scene in the aftermath of a flood. Rescue teams are going out in New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina. A mother and her two children, a young boy and a young girl, are hanging on for dear life on the limbs of a tree as flood waters are rising. Rescue boat comes around, and they say, you need to jump. They're at least 10 feet up in there. You need to jump. We can save you. We can rescue you. Just need to trust us. You need to take a jump. And if you fall in the water, we'll pick you up. We'll rescue you. We will. So they're scared to death. But the boy says, I'm going to do it. And he jumps. And he lands in the boat. And they rescue him. And he yells to his, to his family, to his sister, to his mother, come. You can do it. The girl is scared, but she jumps. She falls in the water, but they quickly rescue and they bring her in. They say to the mother, come, you've got to jump now. You've got to hurry. You've got to hurry. Time's running out. She says, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can. And then this loud crack. And the tree breaks and she gets swept away. Because she ignored the urgent pleas and the cries of the ones who could save her. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't ignore that voice of love. Respond to him. Respond to him as he calls out to you. Let go of these illegitimate things. Let go of these sinful temptations. Let go of these habits, these tendencies in your soul. Just break free from these things. And just go and, and, and pursue Christ. The motivation is not just because your ears will be dulled. But think about, think about what happens when you let go of these idols so that you can receive the grace that God has for you. I was talking with, uh, with, with a brother this week who's, for, for some time, his prayer has been, you know, I want to be pure. I want to be set free from lust, from pornography. And as many people are praying for him, he's sharing earlier this week, I just feel like this great sense of of victory and freedom and joy and peace and love in my heart and beginning to experience freedom from these things. I know for a lot of people in here, these these are the messages that I'm getting from people, that this is a thing in my life that I can't break free from. And we, you know, we hear all the time about how uh, sexually explicit images and, and that kind of a lifestyle rewires your brain and the endorphins so that your brain gets rewired so that you need it. It's, it's highly addictive. But studies have shown that you give six to 12 weeks of freedom from these things and your brain can reboot itself so that it can be restored back to a normal and healthy sexuality. I think about what that would look like for those of you who struggle with these things. To be able to come into worship and to not feel like the first, uh, first part of, of, of singing is all about confessing and feeling like I'm too unworthy to come. But think about the freedom that comes. Think about the promise of Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. 
Think about what happens when you're, you're, you're in here and you're not thinking about, oh my gosh, I need, to, I need to say sorry to my spouse for yelling at them, for, for, for being mean to them. But you come in and, you, and you're just ready to worship God and there's a sense of lightness in your spirit. Think about what happens when the church shines as the bride that he saw in his heart when he offered up his life. Not a sinful, okay, hardened heart, ignoring the voice of God. That kind of a bride that's okay living in sin. But a bride that is set free, not living in spiritual adultery, but living in freedom and joy and in pure-hearted devotion to the lover of our souls and to the object of our deepest undying affection. What would the church look like when we shine like that? It begins with us looking squarely in the face of our sin and saying, you know what? You're right. It is what you say it is. It is sin. That's what repentance is. And you know the great story of Martin Luther, the reformer. He had a dream, a nightmare one night. where He was lying at his bedside, and at the foot of his bed stood this nasty, hideous, satanic figure who held up a scroll and said, Martin Luther, all the sins that you have committed in your lifetime and began ratting him out. And then with his bony finger pointing it in his face, saying, what defense do you have? What hope of heaven do you have, Martin Luther, a sinner such as this? And as he began shielding his eyes, he said, no, I don't want to look at you. I don't want to look at you. And as he was fighting against the devil, he heard the voice of Jesus Christ say, command him to unfold the scroll. And so Martin Luther said, unfold the rest of the scroll. And Satan looked at him and said, no, I won't do it. He said, unfold the rest of it and fighting and fighting and fighting. And he said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to unfold the rest of the scroll. And as Satan unfolded the rest of the scroll at the bottom in blood, said, these things are all true of Martin Luther, but every single one of them has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is finished. It is done. It is paid for. Our God is stronger than our temptation, than our sin, than our past, than our failure. The blood of Jesus Christ has covered all of these things. He says, now go and shine the bride that he saw in his heart when he offered up his life. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, let's not ignore it. Let's respond in faith. Pray together. As we respond, let's just take a moment just to, to stop where you are and just pray to God. And let's make a decision right now. Let's make a decision right now. God, these are the things I know you're putting a hand a finger on in my heart, in my life. I know that I've made excuses. I know that I've rationalized it away. I know that I've tried to cover it up, but you're uncovering these things. Guys, let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves right now. Let's not let our hearts be hardened. Let's not ignore the plea of God in our lives. What are the things that are keeping you from loving Jesus with everything within you? What are the things in your heart 
that your friends would say is an idol that you justify away and say it's not? What are the things that other people would say is your biggest hindrance to walking with Jesus, but you make light of it and you make it into a joke? I don't want us to get to a place where we, our hearts become so hardened that we can't hear the voice of God anymore. There's so much that Jesus offers to us. And until Jesus becomes sweet, the sin will not become bitter. That's the beauty of the gospel. And unless sin becomes bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Let's respond to Jesus in faith. Yes, do you believe that Jesus Christ is better than the things that you don't want to let go of? Do you believe that he's worth it? Not just intellectually, not just with our song, but with the sacrifice of our sins, our relationships, our tendencies? Is Jesus better than him, than her, than that, than this, than it? Spend some time in prayer. Prayer of surrender, prayer of commitment to the Lord. Let's pray together for a few moments. So in the quietness of our hearts, pray to the Lord. If you want to just lift your hands and surrender, you can do that. Let's give our hearts, may it not be divided, wholeheartedly committed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. response to you is not a response of self-helping. Our response to you is not so that we could become better people. It's not simply because other people are doing it and we don't want to feel left behind. Our response to you is not about sheer willpower and making it happen. It's always a response to the beauty of Christ. May we not be sin-centered. May we be Christ-centered, even in our surrendering of sin, even in our fight against sin. May we be driven not by the hideousness of sin and its danger, but by the beauty and the wonder and the beauty of Christ alone. In order for this to happen, Jesus, we're saying we need you. We need each other. We need help. Open the eyes of our hearts to see that you are better and bigger and more beautiful than anything else that this world can give. And in light of you, help us to never go back to the ways of sin, to the ways of the past, to the ways of the days of sin and antiquity. May we live a new life for you in joy and in gladness and in sweet 
glad, joyful surrender to you. We thank you. We love you because you've loved us first. Remind us of that always. In Jesus' name we pray.